Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Marshall Poe, the editor-in-chief of the network, and each week, as you know, we scour the Internet looking for interesting books, and we interview the authors of those books. And this week, I'm very pleased to say we have my colleague Jen Sessions on the show, and we'll be talking about her terrific book, By Sword and Plow, France and the Conquest of Algeria. This book answers a question that, uh, I've, off- that I've had for a long time, and that is, how the heck... Did the French get in Algeria? Um, I, I just did not know. But Jen does a wonderful job of telling us uh, how they got there and uh, why and why they stayed. Uh, with such great persistence, I should say. So, Jen, thank you for writing the book and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Okay. So could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, as you, as you know, I'm a, a historian of, of modern France. I'm, I'm interested primarily in um, two overlapping sets of questions. One is the history of France and its relationship to the rest of the world, particularly its its uh, colonies and former colonies, um, and the relationships between politics and culture in the modern world. Um, and these are questions that I've sort of been with me for, for a long time. I did my undergraduate um, degree at Harvard in the wonderful history and literature major, where I was encouraged and, in fact, required to think about um, the relationship between culture and history through the, the, the lens of literature um, but also was encouraged to think about a lot of the things that, that ended up in this book, um, art history, the history of music, um, the history of the, of the press, and, and those relationships. Um, and I, I came to the study of France in particular um, because I grew up in a very Francophile household. My father was a, a teacher of French. My parents had lived in France when they were... Um, graduate school age, um, and I had been fascinated as a, as a you know, young student of France, even back in high school, by the, the legacies of the French Empire that um, were cropping up in the world of the late 20th century, um, and particularly debates about the... Um, the the veil and the uh, of the place of Muslim immigrants in modern France, um, and so as, even as an undergraduate, I started using my coursework to try and figure out how we got to that um, mm-hmm. that point. Uh, and then I went off after after doing my undergraduate degree to a PhD in history at the University of Pennsylvania um, on the advice of a wonderful undergraduate advisor who said that the historians would let me play more with the, the literature and the art than the literature people would let me play with the archives. So I became a historian mm-hmm. rather than a literary critic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then picked up with the, the questions that I had um, there. Mm-hmm. I see. So uh, let's jump right into the book. I should also tell our listeners 
that I know that Jen has a very beloved dog, and that dog traveled with her to France, where she is now from <laughs> Iowa, and that dog is in her lap. So this is simply you, the, you may hear her a little uh, bit. This is the cost of doing business with great historians. Sorry, that's unavoidable. We'll have the dog in the lap. So let's get right to it. How did the French end up in Algeria? How did the French end up in Algeria? Um, the short answer is that they ended up in Algeria as a consequence of having lost the colonies that they had uh, had in the early modern period to the combined forces of, of international diplomacy and war and revolution. And they the sold some century. of them, Anna. They sold them, you know, just, right? Sold, yes. Louisiana, for example. Yeah, right. You just sold it. Yeah. <laughs> um, although, although they were probably going to lose Louisiana anyway, and right. so the sale was waiting. Right. They were motivated. Make sure it sellers, ended up in yeah. the right hands rather than mm-hmm. than the wrong hands. Uh, but yes, indeed, you know, Americans have have the collapse of the early modern French Empire to thank for much of the Midwest okay. and the and the Central South. Okay. Um, but uh, but the the loss of this empire that that came along with a um, uh, a questioning of the ways that empire had been done in the early modern period, um, uh, an empire that had been based on uh, restrictive trade relations, on uh, chattel slavery, um, on plantation agriculture, that. Under the intellectual influence of the Enlightenment, under the political influence of, of the French Revolution, um, came to be considered unacceptable for a modern um, state. And so they, they set out, on the one hand, looking for colonies, because colonies are something that great states have, um, because military conquest is something that great political leaders do, and the French rulers of the post-revolutionary period had um, lots of anxiety about whether they were great rulers. Um, They had been uh, brought back as kings after the French Revolution, and uh, in a context where People didn't take having a king for granted anymore, and they needed a way to legitimize themselves. Mm-hmm. So they they looked to uh, military conquest to help help do that. Um, and in in the end, um, discovered that war in Europe was going to be a bad idea. So overseas seemed like a, a good place to have the war that that you needed politically. Um, and Algeria became the the object of that um, ambition, partly by happenstance. The the French government in the 1820s got involved in uh, a series of diplomatic disputes with the the government of Algiers, which was at the time a province of of the Ottoman Empire, although fairly autonomous in in its operations. Um, And the the French had, uh, had owed the Algiers Regency some money dating back to the, the French Revolution, um, and they got in some arguments about the repayment of that debt in the late 1820s. Um, the king of France at that time, a guy called Charles X, who was uh, extremely unpopular, he was he was quite reactionary. Um, there's there's the dog, Irving. Um, quite reactionary, and uh, and needed 
some political help at home. And this diplomatic dispute with, uh, with Algiers gave him a pretext for starting a war overseas that he hoped would sort of save uh, the government uh, in France and, and help save the monarchy. Um, so in the spring of 1830, when the political crisis of the, of the French monarchy was reaching its height, um, Charles X sent an army to, to North Africa to punish supposedly the, the North African government for um, violating diplomatic protocols, um, for, for violating trade. There was a big um, uh, concern on the French end about the Barbary pirates who were, who were operating out of uh, Algerian ports or had been. There was not very much piracy left by, by the 1820s, um, but they had been operating out of there in the, in the early modern um, period. So Charles X sends an army and and conquers Algiers, and uh, it doesn't save him. Uh, the French the, the the French get their victory over Algiers on the fifth of July, eighteen thirty, and on the twenty seventh of July, the population of Paris rose up in revolution and and overthrew Charles X. Um, but his successor. Uh, his, uh, his cousin, a guy called Louis Philippe, um, stayed in Algeria. And that, that's really one of the big questions. Um, once, once the invasion of 1830 had, had taken place, um, you know, for political reasons that turned out not to, not to be successful, um, why, why stay? This, the, the conquest is in, and the occupation were incredibly expensive. Um, uh, monetarily, they were quite costly in, in terms of French lives, and of course, even more costly in terms of Algerian lives, um, and, and politically contentious. So, um, so the, the question then became why, why did they stay? And not, not only why did they stay, um, but why did they invest an enormous amount in turning Algeria into a settler colony as opposed to simply a, a military uh, territory, an occupied territory, or uh, a colony of, of commercial exploitation and, and trade, um, but into a place where the, the goal was to resettle the land with emigrants from France, which is exactly what the, the July monarchy government um, that came in in 1830 did. Mm -hmm. And well, what I, think, I found... Oh, I'm sorry, just to put this in context, this was a relatively unusual thing to do late in the day, that is to create a colony where you implanted your own people. This was a good thing to do in the 16th and 17th centuries, and a lot of European states did it. But by the mm -hmm. 19th century... Uh, it really wasn't done very. I, in fact, I'm trying to think of another instance. I know that. Well, the the Russians were sending lots of <laughs> Russians into the Ukraine, or Ukraine yes. as we now call it. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of another example. I, I don't know. Well, there actually there actually are quite a quite a few, and that's one of the really interesting things that I found when I started to look into this was that the French were actually not the only ones doing this in in the middle of of the 19th century. Um, the 1832 was the first year that, that the French really start to open up some of the territory in, in North Africa to um, civilian settlement. It's actually the same year that the British start allowing free emigration to Australia. Um, 
the development of, of settlement in, in South Africa, eventually the, the opening up of the Western United States. This really is a phenomenon, actually, of the middle of the 19th century, and, and it turns out that, um, the, that the French were, were part of a much bigger transnational, um, what, I, what I've come to think of as mm. settler movement of the 19th century and, and in terms of the, the broader history of European and, and Western empires, um, there is this very interesting stage in the middle of the 19th century from you know the 1820s, but really about 1830 through the 1880s and 1890s, um, where the old empire of, of particularly slavery and plantation agriculture is increasingly um, called into question both economically and morally. Uh, and the and the new imperialism, the big um, expansion of the late 19th century, hasn't come on the scene yet um, with with ideas about you know economic exploitation at, a, at, at something of a remove. Um, and there's this half century in in the middle of the uh, 1800s where most colonial powers are engaged in, or imperial powers are engaged in some form of settler colonization. You mentioned the Russians, the Austrians are, are trying to settle the, the eastern part of their territories. Um, the, uh, the, as I said, the, the United States is, is beginning to try and colonize the, the Midwest. Um, so there really is actually this sort of huge moment in the middle of the 19th century that's characterized by um, an idea that this would be a form of empire that could be economically and socially productive, um, would create morally stable communities of, of families and permanent settlers rather than speculators and people who, who are just going out for a short period of time to, to make a lot of money and then leave um, without slaves, so you have you know European uh, immigrants doing labor, at least in theory, is, instead of um, instead of African slaves. Um, so this is the idea, and, and at the same time, you're going to help solve social problems that are arising in in Europe and in the the more densely populated parts of the eastern United States by the process of industrialization and the urbanization that went along with that. So people start mm -hmm. to look around in the 1820s and see cities are growing. Um, people are migrating from the countryside into the, into the urban areas looking for work in, in new kinds of factories. Um, and this is very, very worrisome to, to people who care about uh, the moral and the social health of, uh, of their societies. There's yeah, this seems to come along with crime and uh, and prostitution um, and all kinds of revolution things that are things that are bad for social stability. And so, settlement colonization seems to offer a solution to to that problem mm -hmm. um, too. You can take the people who the people who are causing trouble, um, or the people who would cause trouble if they came to the city, and send them instead overseas, where not only will they not be clogging up your cities, but they'll also be working in agriculture instead of in factories. And and the the social theorists um, who who are interested in this, which you know, ranges from you know 
liberal political economists inspired by Adam Smith to utopian socialists um, and, and Sansimonians. It's, it's really across the, the spectrum. Um, politically, you know, they think that, that agriculture is a much better way to make a living, much better morally, much better socially, much better personally, um, than to be a wage laborer in someone else's mm-hmm. factory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, and so settlement colonization offers you the, the, the possibility of both creating a new kind of empire, but also solving your, your domestic problems mm-hmm. as well. I, I guess the distinction I was trying to grasp at, and unsuccessfully because you've convinced me that there is this thing, is uh, one between um, colonization of areas that are very uh, lightly populated and by r- really traditional people, usually hunter-gatherers, and here I'm talking about the American Midwest mm-hmm. and um, Australia and South Africa, and a place like Algeria, which uh, is the farthest thing from that, as far as I understand. I mean, it was an mm-hmm. old, very well-settled, very well-established Ottoman colony. It was part of the caliphate. It was – this would be like – I guess this – you know, this this was like one European power uh, in the broader sense uh, colonizing another. And you, you, sort of, you see the distinction I'm making? It wasn't – Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and this is certainly something that, that you know, people who are critical of – the French occupation of Algeria um, pointed out that there, you know, that there had been a state in North Africa that the French had, you know, <laughs> engaged in regime change. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, that the French had dismantled. That that there were, you know, long-standing, um, you know, highly developed societies in in North Africa, and that this made Algeria different from some of these other places. Um, but again, I guess I tend to see the similarities more than the differences. Um, the people who are advocating for French colonization in, in Algeria um, put a great deal of energy, intellectual and political energy, into convincing themselves and convincing other people, convincing policymakers that, in fact, the, the society in North Africa that the French had found was not a real civilization that mm-hmm. that the the Algerians you know despite the fact that um, there were you know big cities um, you know Algiers is a fairly significant um, uh, urban settlement um, there Constantine Oran there there are other cities um, clearly identifiable in North Africa um, but nonetheless the 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 French scientists and the military um, Officials who are who are active in North Africa are, are convinced that the the population is just nomads right. um, and pastoralists that they are not in fact making the use of the land that they should. Right, but that's false. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, but, but that's false. I mean, isn't that false? I mean, I've, I, I seem to remember reading yes. about how like Algeria supplied France with huge amounts of grain even before 1830. Yeah, that's actually the source of the debt, but the, yeah, right. the pretext for the invasion yeah. is so, that the Algerians so had sold me, grain to the French armies I'm, in, in right, Spain right. during this, the Revolutionary and Napoleonic right. Wars. This seems to me like Orientalism yeah. with teeth. You know, We're just going to say yeah. these people are really primitive because it pleases us to do so. Right. Yeah. yeah. Although I think the same could be said about what's happening, what happens in Australia or um, – 
or the United States as well. Mm-hmm. That the, yeah, these okay. are not, in fact, empty. No, they're lands. not empty. I didn't. No, the I didn't, cultivation I of the empty. land not, is is right. different right. from what empty. Europeans right. would recognize. They're, not, they're certainly not empty, right? But, but they certainly don't have a tradition of two thousand years of civilization going back to the Romans. <laughs> That, that they well, can call on, you know. I mean, again, I'm certainly not saying that any of this colonization was a good thing. It was all a bad thing. Um, but I'm just trying to like understand the French mindset in going into a place that does have this 2,000 year old tradition. Was yeah. an autumn province. People highly literate. I don't know if they had the you know sort of the Muslim equivalent of universities. They certainly had advanced agriculture. Um, this yeah. was not you know like uh, you know going on to the plains of Iowa and. And in this, it just wasn't like that. So, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think I mean there 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 are a couple of really important differences that that um, translate into some of what what you're talking about. Um, I think the the first thing I would say is that the one of the really one of the things that makes a big difference in the long term between Algeria and other sites of of settler colonization um, is the disease environment. The, the fact that Algeria is, is part of a Mediterranean world that has been linked together for, for centuries, um, if not millennia, um, through, through trade, through earlier military um, interactions, diplomacy, mm-hmm. means, that, means that European germs, um, European pathogens aren't as foreign mm-hmm. in North Africa as they are in Australia sure. or in North America. And so the, the, the decimation of the population by disease that, that goes such a long way to convincing um, you know, the British basically that, that nobody lives in North America, nobody lives in Australia, um, that, that, that that kind of genocide by disease doesn't happen right. in, in North Africa because, because uh, you know, people have been exposed to the, the germs before. Um, and so the, the, the impact of the French, um, of the French conquest and the French occupation uh, demographically is is catastrophic um, in the sense that uh, you know from the invasion of 1830 to the mid 1850s the Algerian population is reduced by almost half from from about four million to the best we can estimate now to to under two and a half million um, people but that mostly comes from rising mortality rates from disease because of other kinds of dislocations related to the, the war, particularly the, the disruption of food supplies. Um, and so people are more vulnerable to disease than they had been before. But they're not encountering those diseases right. for the very first time and just dying off on mm-hmm. mass. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing uh, about that, that history that you mentioned um, is that that actually ends up giving the French uh, uh, or being seized on by the French as a weapon to use against Algerians. Hmm. Um, that Roman history in particular, the, the French, you know, going back to Louis XIV, have liked to see themselves as the, um, you know, the, the heirs of the Roman Empire in, <laughs> in the modern world, right? The Paris is the new Rome. Right. The French monarchs are, are the, new, the new emperors. Um, they're going to bring civilization, um, the most advanced civilization in the world, to, to everybody else. Um, and that 
prevails into into the 19th century, and and you find um, archaeologists, artists, uh, even you know reconnaissance officers in the French army marching around. Um, Algeria, looking at these Roman ruins, it's you know full of full of Roman ruins, um, or or the remains of the of the, the the Phoenician occupation, and saying, you know, look, the Arab population um, that arrived after the Romans, they have not maintained the civilization that was here, and so we, as the proper heirs of Rome have a duty to take up that earlier um, civilizing mission. Right, here. the civilizing mission, yes. That's the, that's the, the phrase I was trying mission. to get. It's the famous civilizing <laughs> mission. So they're going to go civilize these, um, uh, what are really these, I, I don't exactly know what to call them, Algerians, uh, Muslims, uh, members of the, the caliphate, uh, uh, Ottoman subjects. They're going to civilize these people. I guess I'm mm-hmm. saying that with a smile on my face because they're already <laughs> <Yes>. civilized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there, there is, um, you know, this is this is definitely part of the project. Although that's actually not the part that I have been as much interested in because um, a lot of you know very good historians have have been studying that civilizing mission as it pertains to the indigenous Algerian mm-hmm. population, um, you know, whether in the form of, of, you know, the institution of educational, um, a new educational system or, you know, new legal system and so on. But there's another part of the civilizing mission that really serves that purpose of settlement colonization, which is that they're going to civilize, or the, the French see themselves as, as civilizing, not just the people, and in fact, I would argue early on, less they're less interested in civilizing the people than they are in civilizing the land itself mm-hmm. and restoring the the you know what what they what they saw as the the granary of Rome. They're always talking about right. the granary of Rome, mm-hmm. um, restoring the land to its former levels of productivity. Um, through the institution of, of European-style agriculture by European immigrants. Mm-hmm. So one question I had uh, along the agricultural lines is, uh, if you're going to um, colonize a place with agriculturalists and there are already agriculturalists there, mm-hmm. what happens to the people that were already there? Indeed. Um this this is one of the great questions of the 19th century in in colonial Algeria is is how do we um, the the French that is how how do they deal with the land question um, and the answer in its very short version is you kick them off their land yeah, you, right. kick, you kick indigenous Algerians off their land. Um, because the French are concerned about appearances to a certain extent, um, and and I think sincerely um, at some level, they uh, they try to make distinctions between uh, land that is owned by individuals or groups of people and land that belongs to the state. Because 
in the in the capitulation of the of the day of Algiers in 1830, um, the property of the regency of Algiers had been transferred mm-hmm. to the French state. The French say, okay, now everything that belonged to the to the day um, and to the day's government belongs to the French state. Um, so they spent a lot of time in the first um, two or three decades trying to figure out who owns what and what belongs to the state and what belongs to particular people. Um, and because... M- much of the land holding in Algeria prior to the the French arrival um, was in some form of communal ownership or or use rights held in common. Um, The verification of titles, of of land titles, means that lots of people end up losing the rights to their land. The French just don't recognize the, the forms of ownership that existed. They're looking for something that looks like, you know, what they recognize as private land ownership, and these various forms of communal um, property don't don't meet those criteria. Um, and then, you know, the French very bureaucratic state. They want people to be able to prove that they own something. So they they ask people to show, you know, paper land titles. You know, we want we want a document that says an official document that says you own this land, um, or we won't recognize your land rights. And you know, <laughs> the the Ottoman state, the Dalekal state, had not been those kinds of bureaucratic states, and so a lot of people didn't have the, the kind of paper that would convince the French, and so they they were you know mm-hmm. lost their lost their land rights. Um, and then when when that process begins to die down and, and the French still want land and the growing settler population wants more land, um, then they start saying, okay, well, are you making use of the land? Um, you know, a given, a given part of a given tribe has, you know, 20,000 hectares of land um, and a population of this many thousand. You don't really, if you were using the land right, you wouldn't need that much land to support that population. And right. so we will, we will decide scientifically, you know, <laughs> how much land you need per person using, you know, modern agricultural methods. And so we will then give you that much land and take the rest for the mm-hmm. state to be redistributed to, to European immigrants. Um, or we'll take all of your land and then give you another area uh, of land equivalent to what we think you need um, somewhere else because we actually, you know, we think that the land that, that you have now is is really good for European settlement. Um, so there are a whole variety of mechanisms by which the, the land is seized for European um, settlement, but, the, but the, the end result is just massive expropriation of, of Algerian land rights and the, and the redistribution of land to, to settlers. And this really is, you know, in many ways, the fundamental fact of settlement colonization that makes it different from other kinds of colonial domination. Mm-hmm. And, and the memory of this, the, the memory of this doesn't really go away, does it? No, yeah. absolutely yeah. not. And, and it comes absolutely back to bite not. the French in the um, hind quarters. <laughs> it, 
it does. I mean, part, partly, you know, there, there is there is a very dramatic and very rapid reversal of the process mm-hmm. um, at the end of the French period, at the end of the Algerian War of Independence in, in 1962. Um, almost all of the European settler population leaves Algeria in a matter of months. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are about a million Europeans in Algeria by, by the 19, early 1960s, and, and they almost all um, leave in, in the spring and summer of 1962, and their you know, apartments, houses, farms are, are occupied by, um, by local people or seized by the, the, the now independent Algerian state for... Um, for rationalization and, and reuse, because the independent state is, is at least for a period, a socialist state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah. so let me ask this. Who, uh, who went? How did they recruit people to go to uh, Algiers and Algeria? And, and do we know anything about them, demographically speaking? These are some of the questions that I, that I was really trying to answer um, in, in the book, because we know surprisingly little about the French who, who emigrated to Algeria. Um, you know, we, kn- we knew some, some global demographic things about the European population. Um, you know, we, we knew rough numbers that, that the you know, population from you know, basically zero in 1830 by 1850 is up to 125,000 by 1890 is up to you know 80, 880,000. 80, um, that the the you know we know how much the population grew. We knew that through the most of the 19th century, um, the majority of the European population was actually not French. Um, they were European immigrants from places in the in the southern Mediterranean, from Spain, from Italy, from Malta. Um, and the Balearic Islands. So, so we knew these things, um, and people had studied the the recruitment of, of migrants in in Spain and in Italy and Germany, even and, and Switzerland. Um, but but we didn't really know much about what was going on in France to recruit that that you know half of the European population that that was from France. So so I set out to try and find the, the, the mechanisms. Um, and it turned out that the archives were not very helpful. <laughs> they're, 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 although there was an office um, in Paris and an office in Algiers that were in charge of emigration and settlement, um, the way that the, that the the papers, the physical papers of the archives had been moved around over the over the course of the colonial period and then brought back to France also fairly suddenly at the at the end of the colonial period meant that there that there was no continuous record of those offices operations mm-hmm. um, and so I could not sit, just sit down and go through and say okay you know the the second bureau of the of the direction of the interior in the government general of Algiers of Algeria is in charge of colonization so this is what they did um, so I had to, to piece together what I could find of those activities from the, the, the general archives of the, of the colonial government in Algiers. Um, and then I ended up actually going to, um, going to local archives in France um, 
to to see where to the places where people had come from um, to see what they could tell me about who these people were and um, and how they got there. So I did find in the in the colonial archives um, a set of of registers, which are French register French term like for for you know books, just rolls where you know bureaucrats make lists of things in order just over a long period of time, continuously. Mm -hmm. And I found a set of registers um, that had survived from the middle of the 1840s that had, um, that that told me the names and the professions and the hometowns um, of about 20,000 people who had migrated from France to Algeria in the 1820s or who had been given assistance by the, the state to migrate to Algeria. Um, and so I spent many, many months with lots of help from, from some research assistants, um, entering all this into a database mm -hmm. to, to figure out kind of in the aggregate who they were. Um, and that, that gave me some some professional information. You know, they ended up being mostly um, unskilled workers, people who could you know, work in construction for the most part, um, and and um, and to a lesser extent in in agriculture. But but they were mostly people who who were needed for construction because the state was was trying to build everything from government offices to barracks to villages for for agricultural settlers to to live in. Um, so. That was sort of one really interesting thing that the 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 preference that the that the officials were were expressing for agricultural settlers, you know, people who were going to live and work on the land. Um, when you looked at who the who the state was actually helping to emigrate to Algeria, um, it was not those people at all. It was it was people who live in cities, people who people who who do urban kinds of of labor. Um, so that was one thing that I found in the aggregate. The other thing I found was the um, was the geography of migration, and, and probably the the thing in the book that that took the most time and and effort to put together is a map that shows up in in the last chapter of the geographical origins of um, of the migrants. From these registers, it, it, took, mm -hmm. it took forever, and I was able to shade in the different areas. Um, and what you found was was a um, sort of real concentrations in urban areas in in eastern France, um, in in Alsace and Lorraine along the along the German border, um, where where Strasbourg, one of the biggest cities in in France, is uh, is located, and then in and around Paris. Um, itself, which uh, and between the two of them, Strasbourg and Paris ended up accounting for almost half of the assisted migrants of the of the early mm -hmm. 1840s. Um, and then uh, there was a lesser concentration in in the southwest um, along the along the Spanish border. So so I started trying to figure out you know what it was about these places um, that had encouraged people to leave. It meant that more people left um, from there than from other places. Uh, and it turned out that it was not necessarily um, poverty, although although uh, economic problems certainly played 
a role, um, but it was local traditions of migration. Um, when you started to look, you know, down at the at the the lowest levels of of the data, um, people were emigrating very often from from cities to which they had already emigrated from somewhere else, or where many people were were moving in and out. So these were. Come, they were coming from mobile places um, with with lots of of migration going going in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, they were coming a very very surprisingly high degree from uh, administrative centers, from the capitals of of the departments or the or the capitals of the of the smaller administrative districts, um, which meant they were people who were uh, who were being reached by government. Propaganda and recruitment efforts. So when the 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 minister in Paris sent, you know, things like posters out to the provinces to to say, you know, we're we're looking for people who want to emigrate to Algeria, and here we'll give you a free passage, and we'll give you some help with your travel expenses, and we'll give you the opportunity to to work on a on a public works project when you get there, or to um, or to to get a, a concession of land and, and start a farm, um, you know the, these are the people who are most likely to see those um, to see those posters. Uh, so that that's sort of how the mechanism worked, but it never it never worked quite well enough. The French uh, authorities were always very concerned that you know despite their best efforts, there were not enough people emigrating to Algeria. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that although the the population was the European population was growing steadily, it wasn't it wasn't growing fast enough, and that the people who were going were the wrong kinds of people, um, and they were particularly concerned about uh, about urban workers, people who were who were you know assumed that to be poor, to have skills that were not well adapted to to pioneer life in in a colony um, and would be sources of, of disorder because of course they assume that you know poor people are you know, more likely to drink more likely to have children out of wedlock more likely to live in common law marriages and do all of the things that that you know middle class social reformers and and government bureaucrats don't like um, and then they were concerned about speculators um, about people who were going to speculate in uh, kind of petty trades, um, particularly various forms of selling alcohol to the, to the, the, the French army, which was growing just as fast as the, as the European civilian population in the, in the 1830s and 1840s, um, selling alcohol to the, to, the, to the soldiers, selling alcohol to the, the colonists, um, and generally corrupting, <laughs> corrupting life. <laughs> they spend a lot of time counting, counting bars and counting cafes and um, and and so forth, and discovering that you know, <laughs> in fact, according to official statistics in the in the 1840s, alcohol is the single largest trade good in Algeria, in occupied Algeria. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're concerned about people speculating there. You know, they're just going to. Do the thing that's going to make them the most money, and then and then go off um, back to where they came from, or people speculating in land, and and you know people who are who would either get concessions or buy land or or trick Algerians into selling them the land, um, 
and then not use it, not not cultivate it, not settle it with you know small tenant farmers, but just sit on it, waiting for it to to appreciate, and then and then mm-hmm. sell it mm-hmm. at a at a profit without doing anything productive. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there's concern that there's not enough people. It's the wrong kind of people, and and. So they, they use the local administrators in France to try and recruit the right sort of immigrants. Um, they try and do uh, kind of a propaganda campaign um, using the illustrated press of the, of the period. The, the 1830s is kind of the moment that kind of a mass popular press starts to come um, on the scene in, in Europe, and, and particularly illustrated weekly magazines that London Illustrated News is the is the first of these and and the French found their own versions of that um, in the late 1830s and, and early 1840s and so these are these are magazines that are intended to be educational they're supposed to give you know working class lower middle class middle class readers you know educational moral and, and, and healthy reading material so they don't read novels. Um, are there things that are, you know, suspect in, in various ways? Um, so the, the French government starts to work with the publisher of uh, the two main illustrated newspapers in, in France to try and spread a, a positive message about Algeria. Um, you know, they... they Think people people may may fear that because the French army is fighting a great war of of conquest that it's dangerous to move to Algeria. So they're trying to reassure them that no no it's it's not the land is very fertile. You don't even have to work very hard to make you know to make your fields produce enormous amounts of of crops. Um, and this is this is this is something that is you know it's a, it's a great thing for France and mm-hmm. and by implication for French people. Mm-hmm. So what did, uh, let me ask this really quick, quickly. What, what did, um, what enticed settlers to go there? What did they think they were getting into and what did they actually get? <laughs> well, that I, I think, um, I can tell you a little bit more about the former than the latter at, at this point. Um, the, the first book, because it, it, it really was focused on the French end of the migration stream. Um, didn't, didn't, Get to the question of opening up. You know what what happened to people once they mm-hmm. once they got okay, there go beyond the most general. Um, but uh, but what people thought they were going to get um, was the this mythology that had been developed by by French artists and writers and and then these these newspapers and government propaganda um, that you know they would show up and and someone would give them land and um, and then they would be able to support themselves. Right. Um, and, and they don't necessarily think they're going to be able to support themselves without doing any work. The letters that I found in the, in the local archives in, in France from people who were interested in, in migrating um, you know, were people who wanted to, to work and, and couldn't support their families in particular. Men were very concerned that they couldn't, they couldn't support their families doing their profession. In, mm-hmm. in the place where they where they came from, so they saw Algeria as an opportunity to um, to do that to to live honorably by their own labor. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they got there and and some of them were able to to do it you know there are tens of thousands of, of men employed on these public works projects um, but that's a that's a fairly temporary um, source of employment um, and in general uh, people found that that they couldn't necessarily support themselves you needed a lot of capital in order to in order to develop agricultural land um, and so a lot of the people who emigrated to Algeria in the in the early period ended up Coming back to France at mm-hmm. some point, although we don't we don't know exactly what the what the return rates were, except that the turnover was was very high. Um, so generally, it was what they found was was disappointing, was quite quite out of um, uh, out of inconsistent with the with the expectations mm-hmm. that that they had. Mm-hmm. And how were they? This may be a dumb question. <laughs> I got to ask it anyway. How were they received? By the Algerian population? Yeah, by, by the, the Algerian the population. population. Was there an act of resistance, or did people spit on them? Or, you know, I mean, how are they, you know, it, you know what, what? I'm just trying to imagine what the context must have felt like. Yeah, arrived. yeah. Well, there, there certainly is an act of resistance. And I realize I've been talking about the, the settlement colonization piece and not so much about the, the military piece. Um, the, the, the title of the book by right. Ford and, right. and Plow um, really does try and, try and understand the, the, this two-pronged invasion. That's an invasion and sort of a, an invasion and, and takeover of the land by settlement, but also a military invasion and occupation. Um, and so, yes, there there is certainly military um, conflict uh, between Algerians, um, particularly uh, led by by two leaders, Ahmed, the, who is the Bey of of Constantine in the east, and then uh, a religious leader and political leader named Abdel Qader, who was who was centered in the western part of Algeria. Um, Leading armies fighting with the French army, but also um, tribes allied with the with these resistance leaders attacking European farms um, and and areas where Europeans were were settling. Um, so there certainly is violence, a lot, an enormous amount of violence in in Algeria in this period. Um, but what we don't know very much about yet is. Is the more everyday kinds of encounters, um, and and you know what what was life like? How did Algerians and Europeans interact on a daily basis um, in the places where they were in contact with one another? Um, we don't really know very mm-hmm. much beyond the fact that yeah. you know Algerians were employed, for example, by European landowners to to do agricultural work. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Or that Algerians worked, you know, is do, did all kinds of menial labor and and provided all kinds of services in in, in the colonial cities. Oh. Um, what sort of what sort of status did the Algerians themselves have uh, once the French arrived? The uh, the Algerians the the Algerian population um, are are were what were called um, colonial subjects. Mm-hmm. So they were they were considered to be subject to French sovereignty, but they essentially had no rights. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the capitulation agreement in 1830 had said that the French would respect property rights, religious um, observance, 
and civil law. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a whole judicial and 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 civil law developed um, where Algerians will be are, are allowed to live under. Islamic law um, with regard to to basically private non-criminal matters. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1860s, they become they're they're accorded French nationality, but not citizenship unless they gave up that civil status. What the heck does that um, mean, French nationality? Right? <laughs> well, <laughs> sounds like something you might not even want to have. Trying to figure you know? that one out for <laughs> historians of citizenship for a while. Yeah. It, it is an extremely ambiguous yeah. term. So they are they are nationals. Um, and, you know, concretely, one example of what it means is that when they travel outside of Algeria, they are fall under the protection of the French consulate, mm-hmm. um, for example, um, but no po- few political rights in Algeria itself, and in a lot of ways, at the end of the 19th century, it's better to be an Algerian in some place like Tunisia than it is to be an Algerian mm-hmm. in Algeria, mm-hmm. because in Tunisia they treat you like a Frenchman. Um, whereas in Algeria, they treat you like a colonial subject, right. um, as opposed to a French citizen. Right, right. Well, uh, because well, one of the, the oh, sorry. Because the, say, the, the, go ahead. Oh, the 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 European population um, begins to get citizenship much earlier, and so to the extent that there are elected, there is elected representation and and citizenship rights in in the colonial period in Algeria. It falls mostly to the Europeans. Mm-hmm. So one, um, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask. Oh. And again, this is a very open-ended question. We've already discussed it a little bit. What was the legacy of this for uh, later French and Algerian history? The legacy is enormous, um, and and that is partly why I was so interested in this originary period. Is that by be, being settled according to this, this 19th century settlement colonization model, um, Algeria gets integrated into the French national territory. Mm-hmm. Um, the, in 1848, Algeria is declared part of the, the national territory. The settlers, uh, the French citizens, get, get citizenship rights and representation. Um, and and that kind of assimilation of the settler colony to France just increases over over time, such that by the 20th century, people say, you know, Algeria is just an extension of France on the other side of the Mediterranean. Um, and what that means in in the long term is that the French are in, much more invested in Algeria than in other parts of their empire and are much less willing to withdraw much mm-hmm. much less willing to give up their presence in Algeria than they are other places yeah. so after world war 2 when algerian nationalists begin to to demand um, not just reform and citizenship within the system but independence the french you know, under pressure from the settler population of French citizens, um, won't negotiate uh, mm-hmm. the way they do in in, in sub-Saharan Africa and and, and other places, um, and that is what 
makes the war of decolonization so incredibly violent um, in when it breaks out in, in 1954 and until 1962. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the French fight to stay in Algeria. Um, and then that war um, has an impact in France that's sort of analogous to the impact of the Vietnam War in the United States in terms of the, the political and the, and the collective trauma of the, of the conflict. Um, but it also means that there is a, um, an ability to, to travel between France and Algeria um, before independence and to, to a certain degree after independence that makes for this enormous stream of migration north from, from Algeria to France. I mentioned the, the mass exodus of the European population at independence. Um, so you have almost a million Europeans who flood into France in the 1960s. Um, but you also, starting, you know, starting during and then especially after World War I, have, um, have Muslim Algerians migrating to France and, and creating the, the core of what will become the largest Muslim population in Europe, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which, is, which is in France. And right. so the conflicts today about, um, about the, the place of Islam in, in modern French society, about the historical relationship between France and, and, the, and the Muslim populations from particularly North Africa, um, all stem back to that, that decision that's made in the very first decades of, of the conquest to turn Algeria into a settler colony. Mm-hmm. Well, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I hope people go out and buy this book by Sword and Plow, uh, France and the Conquest of Algeria by Jen Sessions, who we've been speaking with today. Jen, we're almost out of time, but I want to take these last precious few moments to ask you our traditional final question on the New Books Network, and that is, what are you working on now? I know you're in France there with a dog in your lap. Presumably you're not just taking care of dogs. <laughs> yes, I actually am, am working in the Colonial Archives right now, um, trying to answer some of those questions you were asking you uh, just a minute ago about what happens when people, uh, when the Europeans get to Algeria. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm researching a, a, an uprising that took place in, in Algiers province, not too far from, from the capital, um, in 1901. And uh, and the and the prehistory of relations between Europeans and and Muslim Algerians in that region, um, the the history of, of European settlement, the the social relations and economic relations, um, and then the the revolt itself, um, which had a religious characteristic and, and the debates about the the sources of the revolt was it um, you know was it according to the settlers it was just Muslim fanaticism boiling over as it inevitably would um, was it as uh, critics particularly in metropolitan France of the colonial system started to argue that Algerians were being economically devastated by the French presence and so you know they were simply acting in in out of economic frustration and, and social frustration because of the injustices that they were subject to during the under the colonial regime. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at that revolt and then the trial of the of the people who participated in the revolt to try and get a better idea of of what life was like on the ground in in at least one 
one community in colonial Algeria. Well, it sounds like a great project, and I wish you luck with it. And uh, I want to thank you. We've been talking with Jen Sessions today about By Sword and Plow, France and the Conquest of Algeria. Jen, thanks so much for being on the show, first of all. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and let me tell everybody uh, that this is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor-in-chief of the New Books Network, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast, and I hope that you tune in next week. So, uh, everybody, have uh, have a good day. Okay, bye-bye.